Live in the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Jeff Mills. Tonight on Fast, $100 billion day. The news that propelled Tesla into the trillion-dollar club and what it means for the EV giant. Plus, PayPal on pause, a deal with Pinterest off the table. So why haven't shares been able to recover recent losses? We'll break down the future for this payment firm. And we're going under the hood on Robinhood ahead of the company's earnings. Shares trading a stone's throw away from where they went public. Will tomorrow's results be enough to give them another lift? But we start off with an earnings alert on Facebook. Shares of the social media giant on the move in the after hours. The company's call gets underway up almost 4% right now. Let's get to Julia Borson for the breakdown of the quarter. Julia. Well, Melissa, Facebook beating on the bottom line, but top line results and monthly and daily active users did fall short of expectations. The company also sharing guidance for fourth quarter revenue with a range that's below analyst estimates. Facebook explaining, saying, quote, our outlook reflects the significant uncertainty we face in the fourth quarter in light of continued headwinds from Apple's iOS 14 changes and macroeconomic and COVID-related factors. But the stock getting a boost from a couple of other factors. First, Facebook announced a $50 billion increase in its share repurchase authorization and daily and active, daily and monthly active user numbers in Facebook's most saturated markets did show better than expected growth. Adding daily active users in the U.S. Canada region for the first time since the second quarter of 2020. So the company also brought down its 2021 expense estimates down slightly from the prior estimates. Now, the other big news out this quarter, Facebook will have a new reporting structure starting in Q4. It's going to break out Facebook Reality Labs along with separately from its family of apps. Now, you'll have Facebook Reality Labs on one side and then on the other side, Facebook, Instagram, Messenger and WhatsApp. Also, the company announcing that the investment in Facebook Reality Labs, which it'll abbreviate as FRL, will reduce overall operating profit in 2021 by $10 billion as the company ramps up those investments. Melissa? All right, Julia, keep us posted on the call. Julia Borston, the latest on Facebook. Guy Dami, how do you dice? There's a lot going on here in what they reported. So how are you digesting this market move? I think it's I think the quarter's fine. I mean, people will nitpick, I think, on the guide, but they've uh, obviously sort of been they've sandbagged guides before. So I don't think that's anything out of the realm of possibility. I think people will look at this 10 billion dollars. So investment in the metaverse, which I'm sure Gene Munster will speak of. And I think Gene thinks this could be one of the biggest things they've gone down in terms of the um, some of the some market opportunities. And this is what we talked about on Thursday, Mel, when that news about Snap dropped. The stock, I think, Facebook was trading 319, 320. I think collectively we said it's probably an overreaction. Facebook is better suited to deal with this iOS issue than Snap is. And you should buy the stock ahead of earnings. And that proved to be correct. I think the stock is fine here. Again, you know, you know my views on the company. But I think the stock was a buy at 320. I think it's a buy at 340 as well. I mean, this is sort of a page out of the alphabet handbook, right, Tim? I mean, you're, they're trying to highlight what they believe is going to be a very, very fast-growing segment for them. Well, they've also been just very conservative, too. And I think we also priced in a lot of bad news on the Apple iOS stuff. So put that all together with a stock that bounced nicely again off the 200-day. Yeah, I think what's positive on the, on, the, on the positive. Guy mentioned $10 billion or, you know, $19 billion in CapEx goes to 
29 to 34 billion in capex. And the assumption is that this is all going towards Facebook Reality Labs, a new breakout, uh, a new, you know, call it piece of the puzzle that I think is reason to be excited. So um, I think part of this is expectations where we came from. Meanwhile, the, you know, the whistleblower uh, roadshow continues and the pressure from the regulatory side doesn't get better for Facebook, whether they change their name or whatever they do. Um, but, but again, managing how the stock is moving here as a function of these numbers were absolutely fine. And, and there is some excitement around a new product. Pressure, and yet that's pressure that hasn't seen itself necessarily uh, in, a, in the stock in a lasting sort of way in terms of the, the threat of regulatory um, pressure, Jeff. And I'm wondering, with this quarter, do you think that that's sort of, that's, that's like the least of their worries right now? I mean, right now, investors are focused on um, Facebook Reality Labs and also what they're going to say on the call about the quote-unquote significant uncertainty that they see in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think that that's exactly right, Mel. I don't know that the regulatory issues are going to be an acute problem for the stock at this point in time. You heard over the weekend, I think there were additional documents released from the whistleblower, and the stock was up today. So it seems like the stock has at least digested a lot of that news. It had moved down enough in sympathy with some of those risks, and a lot of the other things are in focus. I said it on Friday, but I think you can make the argument that Facebook is the most undervalued FANG name at this point. I think the DAU number was key today. Uh, as long as they were in line there, I think they were going to get the benefit of the doubt in a lot of the other areas. And if you back out some of the spending on the metaverse, you're talking about a company that still has 60 plus percent gross margins. So, I mean, it's a really good business from that perspective. And Guy mentioned it, but you talk about Facebook and the issues with iOS. They're probably the last company to get cut from small business budgets. And I know that there's some concerns with Snap about the supply chain, some of these companies not being able to get their product. Therefore, they're not going to want to advertise for the product. I think Facebook casts a much wider net. So some of those companies that say they service are going to have issues. Some are not. So I also think that insulates them from, from this sort of issue as well. So we talked about it last week. It was a good setup in earnings. They delivered enough to get the benefit of the doubt, and that's why the stock's reacting the way it is. How much of a sigh of relief is the quarter, Dan, in your view? I suspect the stock's down on the opening tomorrow. I mean, there's really nothing in this print that says go out and buy it. I think what's in the print, though, or what's not in the print, excuse me, is really that implied guidance for next year. When you think about the sort of deceleration you're expecting to see in earnings and sales growth, basically cut in half, you know, 13% earnings growth for 2022 and sales growth of 19%. And these guys just said it with an 80% gross margin. The stock is cheap. So if the expectations are low enough for the out year, then you have one of the cheapest stocks in the market with 80% plus gross margin, you know, expected to grow double digits. That's the issue of trying to be too bearish here. And so the setup into the print was hard. We expected bad news. It was down because of that. I just don't see any reason to go out and buy it tomorrow with the stock market basically, you know, making new all-time highs here up 20% on the year. And at some point, if you think that, you know, again, rate are going to go higher here than these valuations, even though this one is pretty darn reasonable, um, might come into some sort of scrutiny. And that's not even before we get to the regulatory stuff. That stuff's heating up here. This Facebook file situation that now has grown across multiple media platforms. I think you better remember this, that the news business was in a really tough spot a few years ago because of Facebook. And now they're all working together to try to get to the bottom of how they got this sort of advantage. I don't think this is going away anytime soon. So if you're buying here at 20 times the out year, you're fine. It's fine. You know, just expect the fact that if there is serious regulatory action, the stock's going to be back at 300 pretty simple. 
Guy, I'm wondering, in your view, is, is regulatory action the, the, the headwind to worry about when it comes to the Facebook story or all these other issues, the iOS change, um, uh, you know, supply chain issues impacting advertising? I mean, what, what in your mind is the number one issue potentially for Facebook stock? Yeah, I don't, I don't believe it's regulatory. We've been down the regulatory path a number of times. Dan is right. This is the worst it's been I, probably ever for mm-hmm. Facebook. But I think they can weather the storm. I think the storm they can't weather, to answer your question, is the storm to, out of the 250 or so ETFs that Facebook finds themselves in, do those ETFs get pressured to taking Facebook out based on any ESG pressures? Which is something, by the way, I think I've been saying for the last 18 months or so. So the, the existential risk to Facebook, uh, for me, is the same that it's been for quite some time. All right. Let's, let's play the other side of the coin, though, here, Tim. I mean, is there nothing in Facebook for Facebook uh, reality labs? I mean, I, I guess the question is, we've already sort of digested the potential impact for iOS, right, between stat, Snaps News and then what we're getting tonight um, from the quarter. So are investors according anything in the valuation of Facebook for the potential upside of Facebook Reality Labs, which includes the metaverse? Not not enough, possibly. I mean, I don't underestimate Facebook here in in this new business unit and and really how excited they are about where this could be a major leader. Remember, Facebook has had multiple products, um, spaces. They've had they've had different places where they've also gotten into their own e-commerce and essentially their own online uh, whole excuse me retail business to support merchants. Um, I, I think this is part of the stock's rally in the after hours. It's not a $50 billion buyback. We knew they had the up their sleeve. We know the stock's cheap. We know it's highly free cash flow generative. We knew that the Apple iOS news was going to be ahead. When Facebook, to- Facebook told us about this, I do think it is new product classes. I do think Facebook, uh, with the size of this audience and, and you know, $2.93 billion um, in, in, in MAUs, you've got a huge opportunity here. And I think you've got an opportunity to get excited as an investor, despite all the things that the rest of the, the, the team here has outlined in terms of why Facebook trades where it does. It's not going to trade expensive. It trades cheap for a reason. Um, but this is why the stock's rallying. All right, let's get more on Facebook's latest quarter. Let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster, partner at Loop. Gene, good to see you. Um, to what do you attribute this 3% move in the after hours in your view? I think it's uh, a nod to really the the core truth here. It's always several layers below the surface. In this case, it was the DAU number up 7% year over year. It was a fraction of a fraction of a miss, still up 7% year over year. That is consistent with how DAUs grew before the pandemic for the previous few years. And so essentially what you have is, I think, investors recognizing something that your traders talked a lot about in the last couple of days is this uh, dynamic where uh, no, there is no other place to go beyond Facebook. I think that is the, the simple reason uh, why it's up. The guidance, uh, 5% below where the street was at, that does compare to Snap there just for the December. They guided 12% below, so it wasn't as bad. But as your traders pointed out, that uh, that was largely expected. I do think uh, the core here is just around that DAU number. It's unprecedented. It's something that we quickly talk about. It's something that uh, no other company has, a global directory, 2 billion daily active users. Uh, This is something that advertisers can't live without. And I think what it is also a nod to is these issues around whether it's the macro or IDFA, all uh, all those issues are largely going to be transitory. They may last uh, two quarters, four quarters, but eventually, uh, they're going to investors. Uh, I think will move on uh, back to that core insight, the core 
uh, value that Facebook has, which is that continuing to grow DAU number. It just blows me away. Hey, Gene, it's Jeff Mills. Good to talk to you again. Um, I know that I talk about it a lot. You bring it up a lot. We talked about it just recently here, but it's the metaverse concept, and I'm a big believer in it. I know you said basically it's going to be as big as the Internet. Um, talk to me a little bit about Facebook, though, in terms of it being a centralized platform and then everybody talking about Web 3.0, which is really going to be built on decentralization. I've heard this narrative that maybe Facebook isn't best set up for the Web 3.0 dynamic as it relates to things like the metaverse. Any, any comments on, on that concept? Well, I think it starts with what is the metaverse? And I can say that we frequently talk to uh, people at the largest companies and, and some of the startups and across the board, everyone has a different view of what the metaverse is. I think the best way to think about what the metaverse is, is that it is trying to describe the metaverse today and, and Web 3.0, the future of the Internet, all of that, I think uh, for me misses the mark. I think about this as trying to describe the Internet in 1992. I would have described it something like uh, there are computers that are connected to each other, a network of computers for messaging, something to that effect. And of course, it's uh, evolved to be much more. And so I think uh, this metaverse piece is something that is, is significant. I've talked about it as something that uh, concerns me just in terms of uh, where uh, as humans we're going to be interacting. But then again, I'm old. I'm 50. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be part of the past. And so uh, the reality is if you're under 20 years old, uh, you're going to want to engage in the metaverse. So to answer your question is the metaverse is a huge deal. I think Facebook has a ton of flaws. I think that uh, their products uh, don't make us better off. That's an understatement. But I do think that what the company is doing, as, mu as hard as it is for me to say it, I think the reality is what they're doing is building a future that a lot of people want to be a part of, and they're going to be a connecting point to that and build investor value uh, along the way. So, Gene, I'm wondering if you think breaking out the business um, FRL as a separate area where you can see the growth and track the growth and the return on the investment, if this is sort of a Facebook's way of saying, you will see the growth here and we're going to prove it to you by actually making the structural change. I think it's their way of saying we're going to spend a lot around this and we want to get a pass on our core, mm -hmm. on our valuation. Just don't look over here. As you said, Melissa, it's a page out of Google and there are other bets. Uh, this gives them free reign to basically spend as much as they want. What we're seeing with Apple and IDFA, this is the exact reason why Facebook doesn't like Apple, is because uh, they are, are beholden to uh, Apple's uh, devices. I think Apple, I, I believe strongly, I think that's the best of all things to own. Uh, incredible company, great upside here. Uh, I don't think Facebook and Apple see eye to eye. And I think what you're, you're seeing with this breakout of Reality Labs is Facebook uh, laying the gauntlet down and saying that they want to take on, whether it's Apple or Google or Samsung, they want to be a big player. They want to control their destiny when it comes to the metaverse. And I understand what they're doing, and I think that it's probably going to work uh, by breaking this out. I think investors are going to say, thank goodness they're spending 10, 20, 15 billion, whatever the number is on the metaverse, can't spend enough on it, and give them a pass. All right, Gene. Thank you. Um, keep us posted if there are any developments on the call. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Do. Um, should investors, Dan, give Facebook a pass? If that's really the reason to break out all the spending and say, you know what, that's FRL, that's not our core business. So give, Listen, give us if, a free pass here. Is that right? Yeah. Should investors do that? 
Well, if you were an investor buying tobacco 25 years ago, then you're buying, you know, Facebook right here because you see all those opportunities. It's really interesting that Mills, our resident millennial here, is asking, you know, Boomer Gene about the metaverse here. And I just don't believe. Go read every science fiction book that deals with the metaverse, and they've been around for decades here, there is an evil villain trying to lord over a centralized platform and profit from it. I mean, literally, you can't write this stuff, or they actually did write this stuff. So I just don't believe that that Mark Zuckerberg is gonna be the lord of the metaverse here, and they can spend as many billions as they want trying to put lipstick on a pig here, um, but they're gonna be decentralized platforms that are gonna bring this new kind of technology, I think, this this kind of uh, you know decentralized centralized you know world where crypto is the currency of and all this other stuff that's really interesting in vr and all this other stuff or, but i just don't really believe it's going to be facebook or it's zuckerberg tim thinking we will be um disintermediated sometime in the future so we're going to skate to where the puck is going we're going to go to the metaverse we're going to go to the decentralized platform and web 3.0 instead of focusing solely on the yeah. core business right now yeah, they, they, they're, they're taking your eye off, first of all, where, you know, the, the ball is for them now and where there's a lot of pressure. First of all, this is, you know, smart and they're, they're focusing on ah. the future. They're focusing on an area where I think they have a, a lot of opportunity and I think they're far ahead of everybody else. So um, I, I, you know, they can spend a lot here. And, and in fact, again, think about where people are rewarded for CapEx. That's the point here. That's why the stock's rallying. It's, we're not concerned about the impact to operating margin, the $10 billion hit. They told you about the stock's rallying on that. That's exactly the point. I, I like that theory, Guy. I think you do, too. Shiny object. Look over here, folks. <laughs> Don't look over there where the problems are. Forget about the iOS change. Forget about regulatory pressures. Forget about the harm people say we inflict upon various demographics of society. We've got the metaverse going. Right. Being the least bright and the most easily distracted in the group, it definitely appeals to me without question. I think, in, you know, I think they're going to be rewarded for this kind of investment because if it winds up being as important as Gene thinks it will be, then it's a small investment to make. And Listen, I totally get what Dan is saying, but you can't argue with the numbers. I mean, they probably have, what, 38% of the world's population or some ridiculous number is, is on Facebook in one way, shape, or form. That's a pretty insurmountable lead they seem to have if, in fact, the metaverse is going to be as big as the Internet. All right, coming up, no interest in Pinterest. The social stock dropping hard as PayPal denies reports that a deal is in the works. We've got the details next, plus Tesla hits the $1 trillion mark, the big headline that sent this stock to a new all-time high today. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. PayPal shooting down reports today that it is in talks to buy Pinterest, the news sending PayPal rallying and Pinterest crashing back to earth. But despite today's gain, PayPal shares are still down 9% since Wednesday when reports of a potential deal first surfaced. Um, Dan, what do you make of, of not recouping the losses on this news? Yeah, I think you have to go back to Mel um, July in their Q2 print, right? When they really disappointed, the stock sold off 6% back then. It really started this slide. It just made an all-time high. And at the time, they were talking about some of just the, the troubles that they were having um, with eBay, you know, not using their payment system the way they had. To, you know, the, eBay was their parent company for o over a decade prior. So the idea that they would look to kind of replace that relationship with something like Pinterest, I guess, why buy the cow when you get the milk for free? I mean, obviously, you can get the placement 
on some of these um, platforms without having to pay $40 billion. Um, so to me, I think there's probably still more explaining to do out of PayPal. One of the reasons why the stock remains weak and the trends that they demonstrated in their Q3 guidance have probably remained and the trial balloon that they floated last week wasn't well received. So I suspect there's probably a little bit more downside here before we get more clarity on how Venmo and some of these other parts of the business help them kind of get over that slump that we've seen in the last few months. I mean, a skeptic's take would have been that PayPal was looking at Pinterest because it needed something. It needed to do that. It needed to secure the platform where it would be the payment form, Tim. And so therefore, by not having this deal in place, they are back to the drawing board, back to their own slowing growth. That would be the skeptic's viewpoint. I don't know if that's yours. Well, it's it's not quite my view on at least the, the, the micro view of why the stock didn't rally more today and why it closed, you know, well off the intraday highs or the pre-market highs when they made the statement that we're not looking at PayPal at this time. So I, I don't think the market believes that they're not necessarily going to pursue either this transaction at some point um, or something. And look, CEO has been very clear. It's possible they'll be doing some tuck-in acquisitions. It's possible they'll do something transformational, which goes back to Dan's point about fear of you know, where, whether some of the best growth is, is behind this company. Um, I think this is uh, today's reaction to the stock, uh, not getting back to those uh, above 270 levels is they believe that maybe maybe they're waiting. And there's a couple analysts that were out there today. So um, this isn't my idea that maybe they are uh, waiting for some of Apple's app tracking transparency dynamics to die down and, and actually take some of the pressure, figure out exactly um, what it could mean for them. But I, I think the market is not convinced that they're looking away from Pinterest too far right now. Mills, what, what's your take on either stock? Well, I, I also think, too, you had PayPal weakening before all of this. So I think the market was looking towards some of the growth um, statistics that everybody's talking about. And when I think about you know, the valuation difference between a stock like PayPal and even Square, you had Square blow out. It was very expensive. Now that P.E. differential is really much more back in line to historical norms. So you know, when I think about a stock like Square, for example, Cash App, fewer users than Venmo, generates a lot more revenue earlier on in the growth cycle. So I, along with Dan, would be a seller of PayPal here until things quiet down a little bit. Uh, It looks like a double top to me if you look at the chart. So I would be selling on strength. I think you look around 230-ish as key support. Uh, Pinterest, you know, I think that they have sort of their own issues in terms of decelerating growth. You know, they're, they're up against some pretty difficult comps here. Uh, and I don't know whether this is an opportunity or problem, but their user base is definitely under monetized. So their average revenue per user, we always talk about ARPU, it's a fraction of Facebook, a fraction of Snap. So Pinterest can grow without adding users, which is a good thing, but there's a lot of execution risk there to actually make that happen. I mean, I don't think Guy's updated his page since like 2019. False. Absolutely false. I think I added some new pictures over the weekend, as a matter oh. of fact, I'll as is my want in. to do. Please. But, you know, it's interesting. You know, I think Dan would submit correctly that Pinterest is a very valuable platform for somebody out there. And I don't think, look, personally, where there's smoke, there's fire. So if it's not PayPal, it's going to be somebody. And the stock, Pinterest, has sold off about 44% since that 90-ish dollar all-time higher thereabouts. And, and I can make an argument that, look, Given their EPS growth, despite that ARPU number that Jeff just talked about, the valuation makes a little bit of sense here. So I think the sell-off is, um, I think the sell-off is, I want to say it's entirely over in Pinterest, but I think you could get long Pinterest ahead of earnings 
I believe on November 4th, which is a Thursday. All right. By the way, Kramer's making some big moves in the payment space today. Find out why he's adding shares of PayPal by signing up for the Investment Club newsletter. All the info you need is right there on the screen. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Tesla racing to a trillion dollar market cap. So is it all green lights from here? We're plugging into that trade next. Plus, hack attack. Microsoft sounding the alarm on more cyber threats targeting the global supply chain. We're breaking down the fallout. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast. We're starting to get some fireworks out of the Facebook call. Let's get back to Julia with the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, Mark Zuckerberg leading off the earnings call by playing defense, sounding emotional as he defended the company in light of the revelations from whistleblower Francis Haugen. Take a listen. I want to discuss uh, the recent debate around our company. I believe large organizations should be scrutinized, and I'd much rather live in a society where they are uh, than one where they can't can't be. Uh, Good faith criticism helps us get better. But my view is that what we are seeing is a coordinated effort to selectively use leaked documents to paint a false picture of our company. Zuckerberg saying that the reality is, is that social media is not the main driver of societal issues of polarization. He said polarization started before he was born. He also said social media can't fix these problems earlier. And he threw some darts at the other companies in this space, saying he's worried about the incentives that are created for other companies to be as introspective as Facebook has been if they are facing this kind of scrutiny. But he said they are committed to continuing the work of improving Facebook when it comes to these issues, Melissa. Now they've moved on to talk about commerce and creators and the like, but definitely very defensive on this issue. Julia, what was your take on on what he meant by coordinated effort? Who is doing the coordination? It, it sounds almost conspiracy theorist. I mean, look, Facebook has used that word before. They warned that there were a bunch of of reports coming, that journalists were all going to be launching reports at the same time. There have been journalism reports out that Pierre Omidyar is one of the people who is financing um, this series of stories through uh, through his through his interests and through his group, but Melissa, I mean, the the reality is is there was a consortium of news outlets that got access to these documents that were then you know sort of that went that were originally Francis Haugen's and that went uh, went to Congress and that now have been redacted. So there is a consortium of, of news outlets that have gotten access to these, but it does seem by calling it a coordinated attack, it seems much more sinister than than you know a group of outlets got access to whistleblower documents that sounds a lot less exciting right yeah <laughs> julia thanks keep us posted julia borson the latest on facebook um guy what's your take on this yeah I, my sense is again my opinion is you know they had a big conversation over the weekend they probably talked to their crisis management team and they said it's time for us you called it being defensive but effectively now they're playing offense i think that's what they're going to try to turn the tables here And you know what? I guess to a certain extent, good for them. I mean, you know my view of the platform. I think a lot of people share it. That's the bad news or the good news. The bad news is, I guess, or however you want to spin it, is nobody's leaving. Advertisers aren't leaving and people on the platform aren't leaving. And it's probably one of the it's it's just an incredible business that, again, outside that existential risk that we talk about, doesn't seem seems to be bulletproof right now. 
All right, we'll keep you posted on more headlines as they come. Meantime, let's move on. Check out shares of Tesla soaring to all-time highs today, launching the company into the trillion-dollar club for the first time. Let's get to Phil LeBeau, who's got all the news that got it there. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa, a lot of news today on Tesla, a couple of catalysts that moved the stock higher. And again, as you take a look at shares of Tesla, and I know people have been looking at this chart all day long, but we keep showing it to you because one of the catalysts here is Adam Jonas from Morgan Stanley putting out a note today, increasing his price target, raising it to $1,200. That was a little bit of the juice underneath it. Remember, Morgan Stanley has, since Tesla's Q3 earnings call, has been very bullish about what the future holds for this company. In fact, Adam Jonas says by 2030, he sees the unit sales, the number of vehicles sold, climbing from 5.8 million to 8.1 million. That shows you how much they expect the sales to increase. That would be a 28% increase. Hertz today is the other part of the story. It ordered 100,000 Tesla Model 3 vehicles that will then be rented out to Hertz customers. So here's how this deal will work between Tesla and Hertz. These rentals will start later next year. So it's not like you're going to be able to see these in the next couple of months. Hertz customers will have dedicated service when they're renting a Tesla. Model 3. They'll also have access to the supercharger network. This gave uh, shares of Hertz a nice pop today. The purchase value here, $4.2 billion. Not a bad trade-off if you're Tesla. $4.2 billion sale, so to speak. And then you get a $50 billion pop uh, in the market cap. That was one of the stories today. The other story, which didn't get as much attention and didn't slow down the stock at all, was a letter written by the chair of the National Transportation Safety Board. Jennifer Hammondy, who has been very vocal about her criticism of Tesla, sent a letter to Elon Musk blasting their full self-driving beta software rollout, basically saying, look, this system lacks safeguards. In her letter to Elon Musk, she says, if you were serious about putting safety front and center in Tesla's vehicle design, I invite you to complete the action and safety recommendations we issued to you four years ago. Remember, Tesla, and we reached out to Tesla for a comment on this letter. Tesla now has driver-facing cameras in the vehicle, one of several moves to increase the safety of people who are using full self-driving. Having said all that, guys, we want to hear more from Jennifer Hammondy, and we plan to hear more from her tomorrow morning, an exclusive interview on Squawk Box, 715. You don't want to miss what she has to say, and we'll ask her specifically, how do you feel about an automaker Rolling out beta software, testing it on American roads with drivers, not test drivers, but drivers like you and I. If we qualify and we know what Tesla has said in terms of who gets the FSD beta software and they had some issues over the weekend. uh, But those people who they believe are safe drivers will get this. Now, whether or not the NTSB is comfortable with that, we'll have to see. But remember this, Melissa, the NTSB, it does not regulate vehicle safety. They, they investigate accidents. They may have comments on what needs to be done. But the regulation of, those, uh, of all vehicles is up to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. So no matter what she says, there's no teeth to it, Phil. No, there's not. But the NTSB yeah. does carry weight, especially in Washington. Mm-hmm. You get the NTSB talking enough, there are going to be enough people, not just regulators, but elected officials who start to say, what's going on here? All right. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Well, you heard it straight from Phil, Jeff. Didn't matter what letter what the letter said. Didn't matter at all. Tesla's going to march to trillion dollars for a variety of reasons, and here we are. Yeah, and I, I don't think that will matter, you know, in particular. And if, if you really care about safety, I mean, 
you know, the, the, the self-driving is probably safer than an actual human being driving the car. I know people would rather get hurt by another person than, than a computer. So there's that, that issue within our own minds. But ultimately, I don't think that's going to be something that impacts the stock, certainly not in the near term. And look, it, it's breaking out here. So I think you have to respect the momentum, uh, at least to some degree. And there's plenty of good going on right now. Obviously, how they dealt with the supply chain issues, margin, sequential profit growth, the balance sheet continues to improve. So all of those things are good. But I continue to sit on the sidelines with this stock. I've been wrong for a very long time. But listen, Tesla is a car company. Uh, 85% of its revenues are from the auto business. And I think right now, for me, the biggest issue is the valuation. And then you're seeing some headwinds in terms of some of these really important growth areas. You know, you have folks talking about Tesla as an integrated energy company or whatever you want to call it. But if you look at the ener- energy storage business and the numbers there, uh, the growth is now slower than the auto business. So you're starting to see potential cracks in, in the, the high growth story part of the company that I think a lot of bulls are hanging their hat on. Uh, and if you just put some numbers to it, you know, you annualize Q3 numbers, one of their better quarters, if not their best quarter, you're still talking about a stock that trades 130 times. You know, you, you look at Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, NVIDIA, Netflix, go down the line, and you're still talking about a car company that's trading, you know, multiples of the, those names. So I just, I still can't get my head around it. They just secured a 100,000 car order pretty much at full price. Tim Seymour, I mean, think of the multiplier effect. You roll into a Hertz, you rent a car, you get a Model 3, you love the thing, you start talking about it. Yeah. I mean, that's tremendous. And they're getting paid for that. Well, yeah, so so uh, genius uh, for Tesla, genius for Hertz, I guess, really. They're the genius here. And, and that's, that's 20% of last year's production for Tesla. Um, but getting, you know, mainstream consumers inside of a Tesla uh, faster than they might have is obviously fantastic marketing. Look, say whatever you want. And I've said a lot of things about Tesla, but I've never denied that people don't love the driving experience and love the technology. This is only going to help demand. Um, The general is certainly bringing up all the right points on valuation that I won't go into. I've said it too many times over the years. Um, I do think you have a case here where if you're growing your addressable market by uh, that much, that's exciting at a time when the company certainly is showing that they can grow production. This isn't an extraordinary order. Um, I think it's actually bigger news for Hertz on some level, who is now turning themselves into kind of the EV mobility redesign their whole brand image. Uh, And I think this is a very big story for Hertz as much as it is Tesla. Yeah. Um, Guy, next stop for Tesla. Well, you know, we've been pretty positive, and it's, it's obviously had a tremendous run. Here's what I'll say at the risk of now getting added by everyone on Twitter. Stock traded uh, north of three times normal volume today. I think it traded over 60 million shares, number one. You t- saw the move. The right thing to do, my opinion, again, is to probably take some money off the table. If you're trading it, and look for a move back to that prior all-time high, which, if memory serves, was $900.40 from January of this year. That's the right thing to do. Other people will say, stay the course, Adam Jonas being one of those people. So there you go. I think it's going to do a back and fill to 900 bucks, um, and I think you buy it again there. All right, coming up, cybersecurity front and center, Microsoft finding even more evidence of Russian hack attacks. The global IT supply chain in the crosshairs, the full details straight ahead. Plus, Robinhood trading lower as the company gears up to report results. We've got your setup into the print when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are following a developing story in the cybersecurity world. Microsoft reporting a Russian-linked group behind last year's SolarWinds hack is attempting to disrupt the global IT supply chain. Let's get to Eamon Javers with the very latest. Eamon. 
Melissa, Microsoft has found another wave of attacks by Russian intelligence that's just like that devastating solar winds hack that was revealed last year. That one was carried out by the Russian SVR intelligence service. This is another supply chain hack. It's targeting resellers and other technology service providers. The idea here is that the Russians hack into the supplier's systems, and then when they uh, integrate with their large corporate and government clients, the hackers gain access there, too, and that's the ultimate target here. Microsoft says between July 1st and October 19th of this year, they informed 609 customers that they'd been targeted 22,868 times by Nobelium, which is Microsoft's name for this group, which has been identified as the Russian SVR service. Microsoft says... This is just an enormous increase in the nation-state hacking that they've observed over the past couple of years. And all of this comes as bad news for the Biden administration, which has been talking about the apparent lull in Russian ransomware hacking since the Biden-Putin summit in Geneva this past summer. But a U.S. government official says, based on the details in the Microsoft blog, the activities described were unsophisticated password spray and phishing, run-of-the-mill operations for the purpose of surveillance that we already know are attempted every day by Russia. So, Melissa, the U.S. government official there, sort of minimizing this and portraying it as uh, typical spy versus spy stuff that you're going to see uh, every day of the week in Spyland. Back over to you. All right, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers with the latest on that. Um, Jeff Mills tells us that cybersecurity is still obviously a threat, something to be uh, for money to be spent on. But where would you go? Yeah, it absolutely is. I think it's the biggest threat, whether you're talking about corporate America or the government. And I, I rattled off some of these statistics on Friday in the six to seven hour. I can't imagine all of our viewers weren't watching on a Friday from six to seven, but I'll just go over them again just in case. Uh, you know, $20 billion companies spent on ransomware costs in 2020. 70% of the cyber attacks are small and medium sized businesses. And then this is the big one only 10% of corporate IT spend is on cybersecurity right now. So a lot of these companies aren't necessarily cheap, but I do think there, there's a considerable amount of runway. So you think about a company like CrowdStrike, just for an example, you know, somewhere around 40% year-over-year revenue growth, uh, a really good recurring revenue stream, Im- improving cash flow metrics. So that, that's a name that I like. And I'll just end with this. Mike Code brought this up on Friday, too. I think it's an interesting sort of related benefit when you're talking about that small and medium-sized business number, you know, there could be a major benefit uh, to cloud companies there. So these companies have a decision to make, you know, the small, medium-sized businesses. Do we face this on our own, or do we leverage some of the network safety of these larger providers? So you think about AWS, Microsoft, the usual suspects. I thought that was an interesting observation. Tim? Well, again, you look at the addressable market for a company like CrowdStrike, and it's growing at 40% a year. They just gave a couple announcements. They've got two new modules um, that give them that 21, essentially, you know, places to fight uh, different types of cybersecurity issues. And, you know, XDR, FileVantage, these are two new places that they're competing. They claim their addressable market, they said this at an analyst day recently, will be $106 billion by 2025. That, you know, to me, that warrants the stock growth. And the stock, this is a stock that's gone up four times since pre-COVID. I think you stay there. All right, coming up, we are gearing up for Robinhood. The company reports earnings tomorrow after the bell. The stock trading just above $38, the IPO price. We've got your setup into the report straight ahead.
Welcome back to Fast. Take a look at uh, shares of Robinhood falling ahead of tomorrow's third quarter earnings results. The stock holding just above the IPO price of $38 a share. Shares of Robinhood have been trending lower in the past month with greater regulatory scrutiny over payment for order flow in crypto. By the way, last week, CEO Vlad Tenev said the company's crypto wallet waitlist has now topped one million customers. Um, a lot going on here. Dan, what are you watching for? Yeah, let's see what, you know, crypto is in that. We know that Dogecoin was a huge uh, amount of their revenues, um, at least as far as crypto, but even a a good percentage of the total um, in that last quarter. And if you just look at the way Coinbase has acted, and if you're one of those kind of Bitcoin maximalist melds with that new high and Ethereum catching up here, you probably want to be more on Coinbase uh, on that side here, especially if those, you know, altcoins are slowing down a little bit. And I just don't really see what the innovation that Robinhood has brought to us other than payment for order flow. Payment for order flow is a big deal uh, for the average investor who doesn't pay anything for trade, Tim. It's also a big deal for Robinhood if that went away. It's going to be a big deal for a lot of people if it goes away. I realize it seems that they're disproportionately um, tied to that. I, I, like, I, I honestly think it looks interesting here. I, it, they've had all kinds of hits coming at them, including PayPal stepping into, into trading. Uh, the fact that there's huge unlocks of shares, I think, has as much to do with the, the, the pressure on the stock as any. Um, I think the stock looks interesting. I think nobody expects anything. I think the engagement that they have with their audience and with their, you know, essentially with their platform base is incredibly strong. And I think that the same rise that we've seen in Coinbase, while not correlated directly to crypto prices, but certainly the a similar demographic um, plays to their advantage. And I think they will figure out how to monetize this this customer base. It's been a tough run, uh, but the stock's given a lot of ground. And, you know, you're getting downgrades by the street now that the stock's down 40, 50 percent. Um, that starts to get interesting to me. Coming up, options traders flying into Twitter ahead of tomorrow's uh, results. We'll break down the action. You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at Twitter falling ahead of tomorrow afternoon's earnings report. Despite today's drop, some options traders are betting on a monster move higher for the social media stock. Mike Coe joins us with the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So we saw calls outpacing puts by about 2.4 to 1 on well above average daily call volume. And right now the options market is implying a move of about 11 percent by the end of the week following earnings. That's in line with the average move over the week that they've reported on the last eight quarters. The most active options we saw were the November 60 calls, over 21,000 of those traded for about $5. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock's going to rise above that $60 strike price by at least the 5 bucks they paid. That would put it above $65 by November expiration. And I would point out that a lot of that flow appeared to be institutional. We saw some blocks of more than 7,500 contracts trading. How are we feeling about Twitter had an earnings guy? And, and Twitter, by the way, is seen as less um, susceptible to the iOS privacy downside pressure. Yeah, which is why I'm constructed. And if the great Carter Braxton Worth were here, he would say we're forming this pennant um, formation from that low back in March of 2020 and that recent high in February. And I think we're going to break out to the upside of that pennant. That's what makes markets. But um, I, I think... I think Twitter's going to surprise people to the upside. Again, the fast fire that can come from this will be epic if I'm wrong. <laughs> All right, something to look forward to if you're wrong. Um, Mike Co, thank you for more Options Action. Be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It is now time for the final trade. Yeah, it came early today, literally. Uh, Tim Seymour, what do you say? Does that mean I have a lot of time to talk here? I, I'll, be, no. I, I tell you what, I, I'll just keep it short. I figured. 
Freeport, I, I think you have a case of copper at all-time highs. You've got a free cash flow machine and a chart that's starting to uh, make some noise again. Freeport. General Mills. Would still be a seller of PayPal here. We talked about it earlier. Tons of headlines. The Pinterest acquisition is a different acquisition. Is it good? Is it bad? Chart looks like a double top to me. I'd sell on strength. Dan Nathan. Yeah, Intel. There wasn't much to like about that quarter. The guidance last week, Mel. But you know what? As this thing moves its way back towards the mid 40s, valuation looks very attractive, and sentiment is really bad here. Guy Adami. I'm going to skate in Tim's lane and give you CLF, which is also breaking out there, Mel. Interesting. All right. That does it for us this hour. But do not go anywhere. We've got a very special bonus edition of Fast Money right after this quick break. Melissa Lee Kramer is off tonight, but you are in luck. We are live at the Nasdaq Markets right here in Times Square for a bonus hour of Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Brian Kelly. Tonight on this special hour of Fast, we're all over the after-hours action. Shares of Facebook, the stock is higher right now on earnings. The company's call just winding down. We'll break down all the big headlines from the Tech Titans quarter. Plus, we're drilling down on the energy trade. Crude oil briefly topping 85 bucks a barrel for the first time in seven years. We'll tell you how our traders are playing this big move. And later, we want to hear from you. That is right. We are tackling your questions live on air. So tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We might just answer you. We start off with Tesla's $100 billion day. That's how much market cap the company added today alone. Propelling it into the trillion-dollar club for the first time ever. Shares surging after Tesla inked a deal to supply Hertz with 100,000 of its electric vehicles. The company also getting a bullish note from Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas, who raised his price target on the stock to $1,200 a share. So, Pedal to the metal for this stock. Brian Kelly, what's your take? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, listen, despite all the haters of Tesla here, this thing keeps going. Looks like we have a pretty massive breakout here. And the reason why I mentioned that is not so much the technicals, but when you get to these new highs and you get these breakouts like that, that tends to have a bit of an impact on what people think about the fundamentals. So do I think that the Hertz deal was worth you know, the billions and billions of dollars that it added to the market cap today? Absolutely not. But at these levels, you do have to believe that Tesla is going to be an integral part of the decarbonization of the electric grid. Uh, I'm not going to short Tesla, but I am very skeptical of it at these levels. Oh, really? So it's no longer um, put it in your drawer or is it in your drawer, but it's in the drawer for so So long that you could be skeptical of these levels, but still believe in it longer term? So my my guess is I think we're probably in the last phase here of this bull market. So Ah. what I've done is I've unlocked my drawer. I'm opening it up. I'm looking at the shares. And at some point, as we get this rally up, we'll probably go straight up in this thing. I'm going to probably want to sell it. (laughs) Steve Grasso, how about you? Yeah, I think you asked me last week, was it a close your eyes and buy them time for Tesla based on valuation being extended? My answer was yes, I, I, I think you still have to do that. So I agree with Brian with, his, uh, with the beginning of his statement that I think that it could go even more parabolic than it is currently, but I would not clean out my, my Tesla draw just yet, even on the next gamut up. If you compare it to a car company, then people are going to say, the bulls are going to say it's a tech company. If you compare it to an EV company, then they're gonna say, well, they have better battery storage, It's a real EV battery play 
versus an EV car company. So anyway, Tesla wins. Now, the, the end of it also is that Tesla, what happens if they announce another split? If they announce another split, people are going to buy the stock, even though it has no fundamental reason to be bought based on a split. Right side splits are always bought. There's too many levers still for Elon Musk to pull. It's still a close your eyes and buy the stock. Wow. Um, Tim, you know, that's a good point. For, for people who were willing to close their eyes $600 ago, it's been a great move. And, and closing your eyes and buying it so far has been the right path. Yeah, I guess my eyes have been wide, wide, wide open. And, and uh, there's been no top drawer for me. There's been no hold the nose. There's been, there's been a lot of criticism of the valuation and even other parts. So, um, look, I, I think the, the key here is that you're going to get Tesla's. I think it's the Hertz story, first of all. I, th I think this announcement um, is one that, first of all, uh, is 20 percent of last year's production. So, um, you know, it's, it's a very meaningful part uh, of potential sales going forward. Um, it's also just putting the Tesla technology in the hands of Main Street and, and a lot of folks that never would have driven a Tesla before. Uh, and I think that's something that's going to, uh, again, reinforce what people have always said, what I've actually have said about Tesla, which is the technology is extraordinary and that the driving experience is, is so beloved by those that own it, that that's really where a lot of the loyalty comes from. So um, I think it's a it's an important day. Look, 40 uh, percent move in 25 sessions. Uh, this breakout above 900 important. I think the volume today says uh, you don't need to chase it. Anyone that's, you know, long the stock um, probably says, why would you be cute on this stock and wait for a pullback when, in fact, it's done what it's done? It's not going to go higher with me. Um, but this is an extraordinary day because it's really more about the EV technology getting in the hands of people that I think might not have gotten to it this fast. Yeah, think about 100,000 Model 3s being driven on the road by people who are just walked into Hertz, wanted to rent a car. You know, I'll try that Tesla. See how it goes. Oh, I like that Tesla. Hey, you know what? I just rented a car. I just rented a Tesla, Brian Kelly. And it was fantastic, that experience. That word of mouth, that marketing. They don't spend money on marketing. This is marketing. And by the way, this contract was full price. It wasn't a discount fleet buy on the part of Hertz. This was pretty much a full price transaction beak. So I'm going to ask that question of you that Tim had asked. Why be cute? If you've had a nice run in the stock, why be cute and wait for that pullback back to 900 or wherever you think it's going to go? Oh, I don't. Well, no, I, I wasn't necessarily saying it was going to pull back. I actually think it's going parabolic. I think we're in this fundamentals don't matter mom and pop stage that they're going to drive a Tesla and go, hey, Peter Lynch told me to buy what I know. I better buy <laughs> Tesla. And I think the thing goes straight up. I'm just saying when it goes straight up, I've cleaned out my drawers. Now, Steve doesn't like to have clean drawers. I do. I'd sell them. At some point, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what are clean drawers? Drawers. Hold on a second. Like the furniture. Drawers. The furniture. Yeah. Like, okay. yeah. Oh. I don't know what oh. you guys are thinking. I don't know. And I don't know if it's drawer or draw. I've always, I've heard both oh. ways. Anyway, um, let's talk more about Tesla's trip to trillion dollars with a fast money friend, Gene Munster, founder of Loop. Um, Gene, I, I know you love Tesla, but what is not being um, priced into the stock with a stock north of $1,000 right now? Uh, the sustainability of what's happened, uh, I think BKU said fundamentals don't matter. I think fundamentals very, matter very much. I understand your point. 
but I think that the sustainability of the fundamentals, the strength of fundamentals is what's not being priced in. And I uh, take, uh, I, I step back and say, don't know what the stock's gonna do over the next six months, uh, hard to predict that. But if you just look at the trajectory and think about what the 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 value of Hertz, I, I appreciate your comments, Melissa, about getting these cars in consumers' hands and then they buy them, uh, they, uh, they, they experience it, they buy it. But I think that that sustainability is not uh, reflected. I wanna just quick, quick put some numbers around that. Their current share uh, in the US is around 65% globally, it's less. And I've always thought that they're gonna gravitate to 20% share eventually, 10 years from now of, of the car market. And uh, that's more than any car maker has today, but it's uh, a far cry from 65. What you see uh, these screws getting turned down with the Hertz announcement, I think that uh, this number could be more than 20%. That would imply about 17 million vehicles a year. They're at 1 million today. So I think that uh, this conversation we're having, we're gonna keep having it. And the stock is gonna be down some quarters, more quarters it's gonna be up. And we're going to wonder when it's going to end. So I want to try to fast forward to the end of where, where I think that this plays out. Is If you look at they're going to do $70 billion next year in revenue. I think uh, by 2027, a long time from now, they'll do $400 billion. Uh, you put a 65 revenue multiple hardware, software, services, you get to $2,500. So that's a big jump from where we're at today. But I think we're just going to keep chopping our way up. Could be wrong. Competition could catch me, surprise me. Uh, but I think this is one that just has a, a really a decade of a tailwind to it that is uh, uh, even at these valuations can uh, create a value for for investors. Hey, Gene, Tim. So, I, look, I can't argue with that. And, and I, I kind of agree with at least some part of your your top line growth. But this is not really a tech company then. It's back to the auto company argument. And, and at least if you look at the operating margin for producing this car. Um, it doesn't warrant, even at the type of growth you're talking about, even north of 20% market share, and I think the competitive landscape. So please push back on that because, um, you know, you, you've been steadfast here. You've been right. And, and, and I'm having trouble looking at the valuation. So the car, everything I outlined is correct. We're talking about cars. And, and then uh, in a sentence later, I'll say it's more than a car company. I am take more of a, a, a philosophical approach to this and say, uh, whether it is in the form of a car uh, or it's in the form of a phone or it's in the form of some sort of advertising revenue, I'm trying to focus in on which products can have the highest sustainable growth and what are their profitability characteristics. And so I think that uh, you know eventually over time, uh, more than half of Tesla's revenue is going to be car related. It's 100% basically right now. But I, I see this as uh, just kind of looking at the core. Can they get to you know, 40% gross margin. It was called 30% last quarter. Can they get to 40%? And uh, and if they keep growing at 50%, do people even really care whether it's called a car company or a phone company? Uh, they just want uh, earnings power. And I think that uh, absent some surprises in competition, they're going to keep delivering it. Hey, Gene, it's BK. So let me ask you, you just put a, a $2,500, I mean, roughly, you didn't put a price target on it, but you said if you put a six multiple on it, you can get the $2,500. I happen to think maybe that probably gets there sooner than we think. Let's say it gets there within the next quarter or two, which I think is a possibility. Do you then sell it? And then does that turn you bearish? Yeah, I think... Uh, I think I would sell it uh, if it got to 2,500 in, in, let's say, a month. That's just uh, too much, too fast. You could argue that at, at where it's at today. But 
there has to be some sort of a framework around this. And you know, what I'm talking about is 2017. I'm talking about like a three, five-year price target to double. That would be a great return and a typical investment. Uh, but if we got there in a short amount of time, um, I do. Uh, so I, I think that that would I would I would stick to uh, the discipline and, and think about how much is getting priced in, and that would be too far too fast for me, and I would uh, be selling at 2,500. All right, Gene, um, great to speak with you. Always good to get your insights, you. especially on Tesla. Gene Monster of Loop. Um, Brian Kelly, you got to go back to you because I feel like we're going to rewind and play this appearance. You think oh. 2500 could be actually <laughs> in the next couple of quarters, and yet you want to clean out your drawer? I'd keep that sucker in the drawer. If you th- I mean, <laughs> no. if you really thought it was going to go that high in a couple of quarters, why not keep it in that drawer? So fair point. I have not explained my drawer policy well at all this evening. So let me explain it. I have taken the shares out of the drawer. I am not selling it. But I think in the next quarter or two, it would not surprise me if it doubles. And then I would be selling it with both hands. That is quite a call. Steve Grasso, could you be on board? Oh, well, I I mean, if it gets to twenty five hundred in in that ludicrous speed basically then you would have to sell it but when you what what gene didn't mention but he mentioned the other night was the full self-drive software subs uh, subscriptions and that's between seven and ten thousand dollars that's another huge tailwind for the company energy storage battery uh, it's a it's a very small percentage of overall overall revenue now Mm -hmm. it's ticking up so it almost reminds me of apple and then you have uh, the software and everything else and services on top of that with Apple. So I, I think, yes, I'm on board with, uh, with Brian cleaning out his draws at 2,500, even though there's nothing in there right now. Um, I think that the stock, what, what was the price target Kathy Wood, uh, Wood had on it, 3,000? So yeah, I think we're all on the same page. Velocity is key on how quick we get there. All right, there. Uh, I shall end this um, block with a question for Tim Seymour. Which do we see first yes, in Tesla, 500 or 2,500? Huh. Oh, boy. Good one. Good would you rather. Um, look, I, I, I think ultimately 2,500 is, is probably where it can go. But, I, you know, I, I, it's not in the next quarter or two. And, and the stock is way overbought. And, and the valuation makes less sense today than it did yesterday. Um, I think the, the balance sheet of this company, their ability to get their production right, the fact that it's been profitable now for three quarters straight, um, makes it a lot harder for me to go for the 500 that I would have said, you know, three months ago. So um, there's my answer. All right. Coming up, we're all over the after hours action. Shares of Facebook, the stock is higher on earnings. The company's call just wrapped up. We'll bring you all the highlights and later the threat to Ford. There is a new king of the road emerging in the race to dominate the pickup market. We're plugging into the EV trade with a special edition of Fast Money Returns. Welcome back. We are watching shares of Facebook in the after hours. The stock is higher on the back of earnings. The company's call just wrapping up. Let's get to Julia Borson, who is fresh off the call. Julia. Well, Melissa, Facebook's earnings did beat on but on earnings, but the revenue and the revenue guidance and the monthly and the daily active user numbers all fell short of expectations. The stock is up a one and a half percent, though, in after hours, getting a boost from the company announcing a $50 billion increase in its share repurchase authorization. Mark Zuckerberg on the call just now defending the company in light of the scrutiny sparked by whistleblower Francis Haugen. 
and her the release of those leaked Facebook files, Zuckerberg led off the call by playing defense, sounding emotional as he defended Facebook in light of those revelations from Haugen. Take a listen. I want to discuss uh, the recent debate around our company. I believe large organizations should be scrutinized, and I'd much rather live in a society where they are uh, than one where they can't, where, where they can't be. Uh, good faith criticism helps us get better. But my view is that what we are seeing is a coordinated effort to selectively use leaked documents to paint a false picture of our company. Zuckerberg talking about his confidence in new areas of opportunity, including creators, e-commerce, and, of course, the metaverse, with the company starting to break out Facebook reality labs as of next quarter. And CEO Sheryl Sandberg, she addressed the weakness on Apple's iOS change and said that they are working to address it. As a result of the iOS changes, we don't see the same level of conversion data coming through. So we have to rebuild our targeting and optimization systems to work with less data. So this is a multi-year effort. We're developing privacy-enhancing technology to minimize the amount of personal information we learn and using more aggregate or anonymized data while still allowing us to show those relevant personalized ads and measure ads effectiveness. Just before the call wrapped, Zuckerberg returned to the issue of misinformation on hate speech in the platform. He stressed the progress that Facebook has made on these issues. And Melissa, sort of throwing darts at his rivals, indicating that maybe others haven't as mess- invested as much in trying to stay ahead of these things. All right. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson, who's uh, off the Facebook call. Um, up one and a half percent is a far cry from the after hours highs, which was up about four percent. So, Tim, I mean, you were you were with us at the top of the five o'clock show when we were first digging into the numbers. Yep. Has your thinking yep. changed as we've seen the stock move? I just think the expectations were, were so low coming into this print based upon Snapchat, based upon app, uh, Facebook's own comments on the iOS impact and the ability to measure ad and, and ad campaigns and, and, and where that's affecting all digital ad you know, uh, players and where Facebook was so dominant. And the, the digital ad growth, um, again, per, you know, per advertiser, you know, up 40 um, percent. I think that's where we came into this print. Uh, it's a print where, yeah, the 50 billion uh, is nice on the buyback. Um, I think the metaverse breakout is very important, even though they've now gone on to qualify and say, don't expect it in the short term, uh, but that they're going to spend you know, an extra 10 to 15 billion. If you think 19 billion now becomes 29 to 34 on this very exciting growth area that a lot of people are looking for. So I don't care that DAUs or MAUs were, were less, uh, you know, less than good. Um, but I, I, I care more that they have them. They can dominate with any new products, anything they want. And I think that's really what the story is. The, the comments by Zuckerberg in the, in the call here, again, the, what a coordinated effort by who? I mean, it, it's, it's this conspiracy theory that, that you know, everybody's out to get Facebook. Like, I think Facebook has done a lot of this to themselves. And, and that's a different issue. We talk about the discount that the stock trades at. But the stock that bounced off the 200-day at 220, uh, it's down 14 or 15 percent coming into this number, uh, was due to bounce, uh, although it's given some back. I think it's going to hold this. That comment that uh, Julia played from Sheryl Sandberg really stuck with me, and that is that it's a multi-year process to rebuild the optimization tools, um, Brian Kelly. And, and it's interesting that I, I feel like mm-hmm. the street, when you talk to, when we talk to analysts right here on the show even, they say that it's a very limited time frame in which the, the impact of the iOS changes will play out. Maybe the brunt of the impact may be playing out as we speak, but 
what is back to norm? What is back to what we were before? It might be several quarters. Yeah, right. But it's probably already priced into the stock. As Tim mentioned, coming into the print, we're already down. So this is something that people were already concerned about. They were clutching their pearls going, oh, my goodness, this could be an issue. And it seems like they priced it in. So now going forward, you, uh, the buyback is going to be good enough to get to keep this thing, at least in my opinion, above support here. So it probably does get a little bit of a bounce. But I am concerned about the MAUs and the DAUs. This entire thing is about network effect. and You need that network to grow. And so if that starts to stall, that becomes a problem. Add into the political headwinds that they're facing. Um, it's not to say that Facebook can't go up, but it's just not as great a buy as it was maybe six months ago. Uh, the call's over, Grasso, and here we are with the stock up 1.3%. It doesn't feel real strong going into tomorrow's session. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree, and, and I concur with, uh, I think it matters, the DAUs and MAUs. This, this reminds me of Rocky IV when Drago finally starts to bleed. Facebook is, is Drago. They, they were bulletproof, and now you're starting to see little, little, uh, little cuts here or little uh, chinks uh, basically uh, in the in the armor. A little, a little a little bit of weakness, I would see, I would say, is is starting to push them over the cliff. Now, I, I do agree with Brian as well on the buyback could be su- uh, supportive to the stock. But uh, to Tim's point, I was I was on with him uh, about a week or so ago, and it did bounce off the 200-day, and then it came right back into the 200-day prior to this print. That means to me, there's embedded weakness in the stock. So bulls on the stock are going to say, hey, even if they break them up, it's uh, the sum of the parts is worth more than it is now. But I think we're starting to see critical mass where people are not getting behind the old, it's just advertising dollars. Uh, Zuckerberg is not a sympathetic personality. And I think the days of Facebook, although you might get a little bounce here, I think it's ultimately coming in a, a little bit harder than we've seen in recent past. All right. Up next, pumping profits. Oil stocks on fire today as crude touches its highest level in seven years. We'll tell you how our traders are playing this energy rally. And later, MasterCard reportedly going all in on the crypto trade. It's a story we broke first on CNBC.com. We got the details behind the big money bet straight ahead. Welcome back to a special edition of Fast Money. The energy trade is on fire. WTI crude hitting its highest level since October 2014. On signs, demand will outstrip supply in the short term. And big oil seeing some big gains. Valero, ExxonMobil, ConocoPhillips, Chevron, Royal Dutch Shell among the energy companies rallying in today's session. Our next guest lists energy as his top play. CNBC contributor Tom Lee is a head of research at Fundstrike Global Advisors. Tom, great to have you with us. Um, a key yeah, facet of so. the argument for the energy trade is that WTI has a capacity to go higher, that there's no demand destruction at, at higher prices. Um, in your notes that I got, you say 252 is the magic number in terms of when energy could have um, a deleterious effect on the economy. Wh- why that number? It seems like a very precise level for crude. Uh, yeah, Melissa, it's, it's a rough number. But one thing we have to remember is oil really took the economy or pushed into recession in 2008 at $133 oil. In the last 14 years, the U.S. economy is less energy intensive and we've had general price inflation. So for oil intensity to hit the economy the way it did in 08, WTI 
would need to get to $252, and it's at $80 today. So there's a lot of room for oil to ascend from here without damaging the economy. Tom, when you look at the sector and the subsectors in, in, the, uh, in the oil space, do I buy it as a play? Because when I look at an ExxonMobil, a large integrated player, the stock is up over 50%. When I look at the EMP space, EOG is up 90%. Uh, refiners are doing less than that. Do you get into the granularity of that, or are you just thinking about the commodity as a whole? Yeah, Steve, that's a great question. Um, you know, as many of you, the viewers would know, oil has risen faster than energy stocks. So there's still a, a really substantial catch-up trade for energy equities to catch up to oil. And we think there's still a lot of price support for oil to ascend higher from here. Um, it looks like energy is one of these dartboard sectors right now where almost anything you do will actually be a profitable trade. But I think the best sort of investment strategy is to, is to really bet on a supply response, which means capital spending should start to accelerate. And, and that should take people to, to the oil field services sector. And I think one of the challenges people have today is that they think oil is irrelevant because it's ESG or it's, 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 it's a melting ice cube. But you have to remember, if capital spending is going to rise for five years into energy services, that's a secular growth trade. Growth managers who bought oil in the 90s are going to come back to this. So this, this could really morph into a GARP sector. And I think that's the second leg of sort of the acceleration of the group. Hey, Tom, it's Tim. And that leads me to my second question about really going back to those trades that we saw. And they include country trades. So uh, oil in, in, in for Russia is still, unfortunately, for their economy, their only ticket. Um, break out of the RSX ETF, break out even in South Africa, um, even where you have some currency issues. Your thought on playing countries uh, that have exposure to this trade? Uh, yeah, there's a great statistic from the CIA about energy exporters. Roughly 40% of global GDP or countries make their money from exporting oil. So the rise in oil is a huge reflationary trade for a lot of emerging market and sort of non-developed world countries. So if you're sort of thinking EM, that makes a lot of sense. And if you're thinking regions, like you said, whether it's Latin America or Russia or Africa, uh, they're going to benefit. But technology, sort of, if you want to have a technology bent to your, to your trade, it really should be U.S. oil services companies. Yep. Hey, Tom, it's BK. So, so that's kind of interesting. I mean, one of the reasons that is cited for the run-up in oil here is we haven't had that investment in energy services. You've got companies like an ExxonMobil paying out a dividend, looking a lot like a tobacco stock because of ESG. I guess the question is, is can they ramp up that quickly? And what should we look for for that ramp up? Because it would seem to me then the energy service stocks could get ahead of themselves without the big companies kind of coming back in. Uh, Brian, that's a, I mean, it, there, there's so many great points you brought up because number one, uh, tobacco was a great analog in the 90s because people thought people would stop smoking with these huge state settlements. And as you know, tobacco stocks were great equities really in the intervening period. Um, today, energy stocks are trading at, you know, three, four times free cash flow. But more importantly, I think that the if you look at the fact that the world is becoming more digital and things like cryptocurrencies and digital assets are becoming sort of central to how we do centralized finance or decentralized finance, that means energy intensity is actually going up. And so there's a thesis around owning energy equities 
because it's a low-cost way to actually power things like the Bitcoin network. Tom, good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Tom Lee of Fundstrat. Tim, what's your trade on energy? Well, so look, I've been long Schlumberger. He's right. I mean, first of all, rig counts have, are now more than double where they were a year ago. And the higher oil prices go, the more drilling there will be. That's that's human nature. And it's the nature of the oil companies, even, even though I've said also that they're run differently. They're run for profitability and for equity investors, unlike where they were 15 years ago. Um, back to Russia. I mean, look, look at some of these names that you can buy in ADR form and, and, and you know, Luke Oil, Gazprom, they're breaking out. Um, and in fact, in Lukoil's case, you're, you're really back near um, all-time highs. I do think these are trades that will continue to work. But if you don't want to go far afield, names like EOG and, and Diamondback, which we also talk about all the time, are best in breed and companies that have made sure that their balance sheets are fortified and that they're not going to grow at all costs. And I think, I think the whole sector has a, a ways to move higher. You know, because Tim just said that, you know, human nature is to drill more when prices go higher. And that's what worries me or would worry me about the energy trade. And, and that is the sort of reactionary, um, you know, cycle that we've seen, seen the energy industry go in where it's boom and bust constantly according to the price. How do we know that it's not the same this time? Yeah, I, I think you might be right. We, I mean, it is likely boom and bust. There are a couple mitigating factors, and ESG is is a the big part of it here. We've decided to get out of uh, hydrocarbons and into renewables without actually having a plan how to go from one to the other. So there's some catch up to do here. For me, if I'm, you know, I am long oil futures, so I'm long oil. That to me is kind of the out there on the risk spectrum, riskiest thing to do. But I think there's probably a trade to be done here, not even just in oil services, but in the quote-unquote tobacco stocks, your Exxon Mobiles, that are returning capital, have capital to return, but then can also benefit from this shortage. So to me, if you want to be a little uh, more conservative, I'd go back to the big integrators. All right. Still ahead, MasterCard making a big bet on the crypto space. But the credit card company's vote of confidence means for Bitcoin. And later, we are tackling your questions. That is right. We want to hear from you. So send us your questions on Twitter at CNBC Fast Money. We might just answer you live on the air. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Cryptocurrency is getting a big backer in the fintech space. CNBC learning today that MasterCard is preparing to announce that any bank or merchant on its network will soon be able to integrate crypto into their products. To do this, MasterCard is partnering with a company called Backed. Backed began trading last week after spinning off from Intercontinental Exchange. The stock is soaring today, up more than 150 percent. And take a look at Bitcoin continuing its march higher and up nearly 50 percent in just the past month. How big a deal is this, BK? I think it's a very big deal for the adoption of Bitcoin. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked about this. This has been part of the thesis is that you're going to get crypto Bitcoin and cryptocurrency more generally into this kind of what I would call the fourth phase of its growth cycle. So you had the venture capital phase, the growth phase, the, the commodity phase. It's being called digital gold now. Now it can go to that last phase there where it really becomes a currency. You can actually use it. That's always been the, you know, the bear's criticism. Oh, you can never use it. Well, now you can with MasterCard. So to me, it's actually a really, really big, not just for sentiment, but also just for moving it along its growth pattern. Feels like there's been a crescendo of events in the crypto space, Tim. I mean, last week, two ETFs launched. We had record inflows into crypto space last week, $1.5 billion after 10 straight weeks of inflows um, into Bitcoin. Um, where are you standing here on, the, on where we've 
come, how far we've come? Well, we've, we've come remarkably far, especially when then these pullbacks in, in Bitcoin were ones where, where really largely the they institutional adoption was, was there to buy. And they, you know, most of what we were talking about were either headlines that were accurate or not in terms of where, uh, you know, China was pulling the plug. BK made this point, you know, this is like the fifth time they've done this. Um, but that, you know, the, the institutional adoption has been waiting for pullbacks and has been buying pullbacks. Um, the regulatory environment around the SEC is only adding to the story here. More regulation uh, is good for prices. I, I realize this is about decentralization, um, but institutions need regs and they need to be able to buy. So um, ultimately for MasterCard, I mean, this is a story that uh, I think is is really about embracing the future. Uh, I, I think for MasterCard, more importantly, though, the, the stock has been held to, you know, COVID and Delta uh, breakthrough cases and, and reopening headwinds. And for that reason, I think, you know, they report this week. I mean, I think the stock um, looks very interesting because those headwinds are, are lifting fast. Steve? Yeah, I think it has more to do, uh, more bullishness to do with the actual uh, cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin specifically versus the credit card companies. Uh, to, to BK and Tim's point, uh, MasterCard has, is up 1% year to date. Visa is up 7%. And American Express seems like the, the winning show horse here where that one is up 50%. We heard from them last week. So I think if you if you bet on the credit card companies, I'd stay with American Express. If you look at the cryptos, what's amazing to me, Melissa, is that most of these banks still don't allow you to buy crypto or to even buy uh, BITO. I tried to buy it through, I, I own it, BITO, but through, I don't want to mention the bank name because I know I'll get a, a, a flood from them on Twitter but they still are so far behind here on the story. And I think the more the story is adopted like these types of stories, the higher Bitcoin price can go. Everyone is talking about $100,000, but I think it could go vastly higher than that ultimately if we start to get the adoption from, from real old school banks and we haven't seen that yet. All right, coming up, we are tackling your questions. So if you've got one, Send us a tweet at CNBC Fast Money. We might just answer you live on the air. Don't go anywhere. The special edition of Fast Money is back in two. Welcome back to the special edition of Fast Money. Time to take some of your questions. Uh, We just talked about MasterCard. Our first question is on another player in the payment space. Hi, my name is Keith Doobie, and I'm calling from New Hampshire, and I'm curious about the company Affirm, whether it should be a, a buy, a sell, or a hold. Uh, I believe the company is doing quite well. I think the market space uh, is growing substantially, and, and for all the companies involved, uh, but there are many other companies that are coming into the market space that are taking bits and pieces and shares away from Affirm. Uh, also, there are a couple of companies that have been around longer than Affirm uh, that have a large market share as well that are starting to promote here in the United States. So my question is how you feel about it, whether it be a buy, sell, or a hold. Thank you. Brian Kelly, what do you tell Keith? Yeah, well, Keith from the Granite State, thanks for calling in. I, I would say, listen, if, if I owned it, 
I start selling it here. This thing has tripled since May. And, you know, people say, oh, how can, it, yeah, how can a stock go up double or triple in a couple quarters? Well, just look at this one right here. It did that. Keith, you mentioned you hit it right on the head. There is competition in this space. So this thing is priced to do pretty darn well. A lot of people are flooding into this, this space. I think likely we have priced in a lot of the growth that you're going to see here. So if I own it, I sell a third and I try to sell a third on the way up. I would absolutely not buy it. And if you really, really want to be aggressive, you can just dump it. I'm glad you didn't use the drawer thing because I think we lost people in the drawer ah. thing. But um, anyway, uh, it, you know, I, yeah, <laughs> botched. Keith got his answer. Uh, let's get to our next question. Hi, my name is Kevin in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I'd like to get your opinion on Kinder Morgan and what you think will happen with the stock moving forward. Thank you. Steve Grasso, what do you say? So uh, I think this was a Pete Power pitch, and I voted for it. I'd still vote for it, but to give a more expanded uh, answer, this, this is Piggyback's uh, Tom Lee segment. It's where do you want to be in the space if you believe that commodities are moving higher and, and uh, uh, whether it's oil or nat gas is moving higher in price, then you want to be in the EMP space because they have upside exposure to commodity uh, you know, upward movement in price. If you think that you just want to get paid on an annuity with a 6% yield, then KMI is your place to be. But even safer than that, I'm going to give, I'm going to give them a, a would you rather in the Grasso head. ExxonMobil is up 56% year to date. That's a more well-rounded play, but KMI is definitely a good bet, worth his money. It's a very safe play, in my opinion. Being in the Grasso head doesn't sound very safe to me. Um, Tim, <laughs> what, what do you think? <laughs> well, I, I, look, I, it's good that Steve's in his own head, and I don't need to be in there either. Um, but but I, I, I like the Better play. Better than and Brian's I like the, drawer. I like the plan. Yeah, yeah, at least they're clean. Um, I think you have a case here where you've got a, 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 a business model that's got significant operational leverage at this point, a valuation that's actually defendable. Uh, I would be long there, too. All right. Next up, a question on beer. Hello. I'm interested in potentially initiating a position in the Boston Beer Company, symbol SAM. The stock has nearly uh, dropped off by 50% over the last year, particularly because of the uh, lowered guidance that the company has issued concerning their hard seltzer business. I was wondering if you would think that this would be a value play and would be something that uh, people should start adding to their portfolio. Hmm, value play or maybe value trap, Tim. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, Mel, when, when you're looking to, to unwind, you find yourself reaching out and grabbing yourself like a cold, hard seltzer? Never. No, <laughs> me either. I, I don't think I ever have or ever will. And I think the growth around this category, um, while extraordinary on a relative basis, uh, is not one that's sustainable. And in fact, I think the street was just way off sides. You continue to see a lot of people were, frankly. And again, uh, 18 to $22 a share guidance pulled, uh, now 2 to $6. Stock's still not cheap. Um, I don't think it's value yet. Um, therefore, it is value trap. I, I do think you have a case where you're going to see, you know, low to single digit growth here in, in this sector. And that's probably as good as it gets for the meantime. I do think this this 
is a interesting call, um, but I think you're probably fifty to hundred dollars away. In fact, I think the uh, the pullbacks we've seen, Cowan put a four hundred dollar target on it. It's north of five right now. I'd wait. Our final viewer question is on the friendly skies. United Airlines didn't issue any new debt. The other airlines issued stock secondaries and bond offerings. United did none of that. Should good things be expected in the stock price this next quarter or half because of these good signs? Is this a lagging rebound? Why is United Airlines trading down 50% from 2019 when its earnings have risen 75% and their revenue even more? Thank you. Michael's got the best backdrop for his question, hands down, when it comes to the viewer question. Steve Grasso, what do you tell him? Yeah, I, I think that I would be a buyer here. And, and what we learned out of the American Express uh, earnings is that I believe the corporate client is coming back. And with corporate clients coming back, corporate travel should be coming back. There's been a lot of headwinds, uh, literally and figuratively, in the space, and I do believe they will start to dissipate and become tailwinds. And I think the market is just sort of taking a wait and see approach, selling first, holding off, uh, going to other sectors. But I think ultimately this is going to be a sector worth owning. I mean, just quickly, Tim, if you're a believer of the Amex um, numbers that we saw last week, you should be a believer that corporate spend is coming back. Corporate spend's coming back. United themselves told us that they're seeing they're adding 10 percent to international capacity. Those are the high margin flights Steve's referring to. Um, I think the, the dynamics for airlines uh, continue to look better into the fourth quarter. Uh, I think, as we've also said, these are companies that have learned how to be leaner and meaner during a, a difficult time. All of those cliches, nothing like a good crisis uh, to become an efficient company, which I think United has done somewhat. Uh, what the uh, what the viewer has indicated, though, is this is not the same EPS profile that it was going into COVID when, in fact, their balance sheet uh, has been levered and the earnings power it has been diluted. And I think that's something you have to be careful about. Coming up, the big threat to Ford, the company that makes America's best-selling vehicle, could be in for a shock as the EV pickup race kicks into high gear. We'll tell you the one name to watch ahead. And speaking of Ford, Kramer sold a little bit of the car maker today. You can read all about it in the CNBC Investing Club newsletter. All the information to sign up is right there on your screen. Back right after this. Welcome back to the special edition of Fast Money. When you think of the race to dominate electric pickup trucks, you might think of the Ford F-150 Lightning or Tesla Cybertruck. But there is another big player revving up, and it's getting a lot of attention, especially from tailgating fanatics. Phil LeBeau is here to tell us more. Phil. Melissa, the company is Rivian, which I know our viewers are no it's not a surprise to hear about Rivian. People are waiting for the IPO, which will be coming likely later this year. We had a chance to drive the new Rivian R1T. That is the electric pickup truck. They have begun deliveries of this. And frankly, it lived up to the expectations in terms of what I was expecting uh, to experience. And I do think that electric pickup trucks, that's the growth area that we're going to see uh, EVs take off over the next couple of years for a variety of reasons. Price starts at 67.5. So, yes, it is on the higher end when you're talking about pickup trucks. But people are going to say, look. We're seeing a ton of these potentially coming out over the next couple of years. You've got the GMC 
Uh, Hummer and yes, that is a truck technically, though it doesn't look like a pickup truck. Those deliveries start later this year. We've talked about the F-150 Lightning in the first half of next year. The Cybertruck is later next year. But the Arivian R1T deliveries have begun, and they will be ramping those up as they begin production and ramp up production at the plant in downstate Illinois. Horsepower, more than 800. Zero to 60 in three seconds with a range of 315 miles. And the reason I think that you're going to see electric pickup trucks become a big growth area, primarily because of the capability of what you can do in terms of torque, in terms of capability if you are a contractor or if you are somebody who wants more ability because of the uh, electric utilities that are attached to it. All of those are reasons why I think electric pickup trucks, that's going to be the growth area when it comes to EVs. Take a look at Tesla versus GM and Ford over the last three months. And yes, I know Tesla was off to the races today, breaking through $1,000, a $1 trillion market cap. But in the last three months, even before today, Tesla was moving higher, even though we will not see the Cybertruck until late next year, Melissa. But Rivian R1T, watch it because it's going to be an interesting truck to watch. And Rivian will be an interesting company to watch. We talked about uh, tailgating and tailgate lovers loving this. I mean, yeah. it's, what, it's got like a cooler in the back or something. What's what's the deal? No, 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 not a cooler. You, there okay. is a, an attachment you can purchase from Rivian where it's hard to see from this video here. But right behind the back seat is it's basically a, a through tunnel where you could store uh, all kinds of things. And there is an accessory you can buy that will pull out. And it's a cooking top. And also it has the capability that you could also wash off your dishes. Uh, it's a pretty ingenious little uh, idea for tailgating or for those who are into camping. Uh, and that's just one of the unique features behind the R1T. Sounds interesting. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Who knew? Who knew? You can even wash your dishes there. Um, okay. Tim Seymour, in terms of Ford, electrifying the F-150 was a big deal, is a big deal to Ford's EV ambitions. This seems like this could be a truck that could actually compete head-on with the F-150, and it's getting to market sooner. Well, first of all, I love the fact that you quickly questioned and wanted to know if this thing might have a cooler, as if this is kind of your go-to tailgate maneuver. So good for you. Um, and I think in, in terms of the rivet, look, there's no question that, that there will be competition. And as much as we talk about the F-150 being the most popular vehicle in North America, um, there are some things that are really sexy about this vehicle. The question, I think, for investors is ultimately, what are you willing to pay for this company? And I think the valuation right now makes zero sense, whereas Ford's valuation is absurd absurdly cheap south of 10 times. So um, that really is the story. Is there competition? Yes. Look, uh, as great as the F-150 uh, is and where they will be in EV land, I do think that they're not the only game in town. And especially when you talk about the performance that Phil talked about, which is uh, people that own pickups don't just want to go to 0, 60 in three seconds. They want to do a lot of things with them. And this kind of torque um, is something mm -hmm. that I do. Sorry, Steve, that's your word. But I, I think it was very uh, well used here. Phil used it like a pro. I mean, almost like a grasso. Um, Brian Kelly, so, but, so the question is, uh, even with this competition at Ford's valuation, Ford is still a buy on the premise that it, it is going to be a player in the EV space. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and I think the way that the stock is trading is telling you, Dad, it looks like to me like it might want to break out. You know, it, this new competition coming in is not necessarily a, true, uh, a new story. So mm -hmm. to me, I think you're OK with Ford. And, yeah, there may be some extra things coming on. But I have never in my life wanted to drive a pickup truck and wash dishes at the same time. So I have no idea who came up with that idea.
That was interesting to me, too. Um, thanks, guys, for joining us tonight. Tim, Stephen, BK, that does it for us here on a special edition of Fast Money. Don't go anywhere. The news with Shepard Smith starts right now.